Um, so we're, I think, I think this is officially week three, but we had that one weird 1A week, and so um, we'll just call this part three of our series in due time. Remember, we're talking about um, birthing revival. How many, how many of you can feel that? Feel like God's, even if you stepped in here and you're like not really into Jesus, you, you have to say something's happening, right? And, and for a lot of us that are really into Jesus, just to set you at ease, we're also saying something's happening. <laughs> like what, what is happening? But it's great. We love it. Um, it's a little bit messy, but birth is. Or so I've been told and also seen. Still getting counseling about that. <laughs> wow. Not having kids, but just the process, right? It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. And we're just going to kind of go verse by verse through the first um, four verses, I think. And then maybe just a couple takeaways in the last four. So we'll do four and then four. And um, just to let you know, we're talking about distraction today. I thought about having some of you randomly get text, I mean, get phone calls during the service so we could all hear the ringtone and be distracted, but I, I feel like that could happen just naturally, so we'll see what, what, where we go. Let me just make sure we all understand the problem. This blew me away, y'all. There was a recent study to see how many times people touch their phones in a day. I just got to tell you, I was blown away. I don't, in my mind, I was like, you know, aren't you right? You're coming up with a number, right? You're thinking about, oh, it's got to be like this, between this and this. The average person touches their smartphone 2,617 times a day. A day. This is number one. No, I'm kidding. Now, the way they define touch is, like, if you pick it up, that's one. If you open an app, that's two. If you highlight, that's three. If you swipe, that's four. You know what I'm saying? So you're not turning it on and off that many times a day, but that's how many times a day you're interacting with your device. And that's, those are the average people. They said the top 10%, and I personally would put this as the bottom 10%, right? They're saying the people that interact with their devices the most, the top 10%, just under 6,000 times a day. We're distracted, y'all. This is, this is uh, we're connected 24-7 to a device that we can't put down. And this is not an anti-technology sermon at all, so feel free to you know, tweet out all the important and great points that I make. <laughs> but it is a message about distraction and discerning what's a distraction and what's a divine appointment okay this is important if we're going to birth revival another study i'm all about studies right because i want to sound smart a harvard study found i don't even know but there was a study that actually in in the workforce in the workplace they did a study to find out how long does it take somebody who's focused on a task when they get distracted and the distraction's over, how long does it take them to refocus on the task? Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Anybody in here struggle with that? That's because you're creative, right? I'm a creative person. Um, so there's, there's two types of people. This is, this is not life coaching, but this is important. There are two types of people. There are makers and there are managers. 
and you're one of those on a scale somewhere. If you're a maker, you're, um, you're an artist. You're creating things all the time. If you're a manager, you love to have like your schedule full. You know exactly when things are going to happen. There's nothing wrong with either one of those. It's just how people are wired, right? When you're a maker and you get into that creative zone and somebody interrupts you, they say it literally can ruin your whole morning with one interruption because you just can't get quite back to the creative thing that you were doing. On average, it takes a little over 23 minutes for people to refocus. Now, if you're an employer right now, you're like, how much money are we losing? Right? Because you're tip tapping away, right? And then you get you pick that phone up because you got distracted by a ding and you looked at it and you're like, holy cow, and that led you on a search for something. And when you finally put your phone back in your pocket, you don't just go right back to what you're working on. It takes you 23 minutes to really fully invest back into what you were doing. So it just takes a couple distractions and your day's gone. Is anybody thinking about how you actually lived this principle out when you were in high school? I did it all the time. I knew what question to ask a teacher to distract them so that they wouldn't even teach us what they were going to teach us. And then they would say stuff like, oh, God, where'd the time go? I knew where it went, right? Out of here. See ya, right? We're so distracted. So the point here is, man, how do we, how do we overcome, how do we redefine distraction? So that we're not so all over the place that we have no idea what God's even doing. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Here we go. Let me open up on my device that I have now touched for the 5,000th time it feels like today. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be in the New American Standard. Thank you, New American Standard, for now having a 1995 version and a 2020 version. I'm in the 2020 version. It's the only good thing that came out of that year. <laughs> Probably not the only good thing, but it feels like it might be. All right, so here we go. Exodus chapter 3, you with me? Verse 1, it's on the screen. Thank you to the wise and amazing people in the back. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. You may have heard this in Sunday school. And he looked and beheld, behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not being consumed. So Moses said, hmm, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burning up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses wet his pants. <laughs> he, said, he said, here I am. Then he said, don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their outcry because of their taskmasters, taskmasters for I am aware of their sufferings. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. The end. 
Okay, so here we go. Let's just go through uh, the first four verses. Verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. A couple of things that jumped out to me right away. Number one, Moses was faithful. He was faithful. He was pasturing a flock. He was, the word for pasturing literally means um, to tend, to feed, and to shepherd, but it also has the idea of associating with a special friend. He was close to whose flock? His father-in-law's. Married people in the room. Do you get the revival in that statement, right? He was tending his father-in-law's flock. So this is at the very beginning of a, of a story that is going to shed a lot of light, right, on how we can get rid of distractions and discern divine appointments. But it all starts with a man who is faithful to another man's success. Oh, now see, y'all didn't hear that. And I need you to hear that because you need to be faithful to another man's success. If somebody were to come to me and say, we'll just, can we use Zach? Can we use, Zach comes to me and he says, Paul, I just feel like God has called me to this amazing ministry. And I, I see you and like, I just want, can you give me some wisdom, like some steps? How can I get myself ready for this amazing thing that God's called me to do? You know what I'm going to tell Zach to do? Find some other man, find some woman who has a vision and serve them. He's going to say, but that's what? That, we didn't actually have this conversation, but you do an amazing job in our church, right? Yeah. It's when you're willing to serve another person's success that God says, now there's somebody I can trust. Some of y'all are really, really distracted with your own success. Are you faithfully stewarding someone else's vision? Not only was he faithfully stewarding his father-in-law's vision, but doing so, and if you don't look at like what, how many of you have footnotes at the bottom of your Bible? You should look at those because there's a lot of good stuff in there, right? If you look at your footnote, you'll see that like it says he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, but it actually means the back side of the desert, right? The far side. The backside. So Moses, make sure we get this, is faithfully stewarding another person's vision, and doing that led him to the backside of a desert. Not the best place to be, right? And doing all of that takes us to weird places. But what's amazing to me is the last part of verse one at the backside of the desert. The far side of the desert. He had to walk through the whole desert to get to this place. While he was serving another man's success, not even sure how that's going to help his own life, that's where he found the presence of God. I feel like I could just stop. And some of you are like, yes, please. Right? We are such a, hey, Paul, could you please, when you're preparing the message, if you could just, like, grill it, slice it, cut it, dip it, and put it in my mouth, society. Who's walking to the backside of the desert? 
serving another person's vision, just being faithful to find God there. Who's willing to even spit out bones to get meat, right? He found the presence of God at the backside of the desert. Verse 2, then, and don't, if you're, if you're um, a, a highlighter, highlight the word then, circle the word then, because what that says is that's the place that God showed him something. We're going to have that happen a couple times. Then, after you're faithful, serving another person's vision, and what does that even look like here, right? And this is not, I've got, I'm the man of God, I've got a vision, serve me. That's not what this is about, right? This is about giving yourself to something other than yourself. I mean, if we just want to, like, really, really get practical, you should have, like, 50 people asking you, how can I go next Sunday to serve? She should have a problem telling you no. Well, I need you, could you come in November? Because the other months are full. That's the problem she should have, not, holy cow, we go in two days. I have nobody. Okay. Here we go. Let's keep going. It'll get better, I promise. Because in the back we said this is not a word of correction. This is actually a word of encouragement. This really is a word of encouragement. Hang with me. Tell the person next to you, I think it'll get better. Now look, verse 2, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not being consumed. We know, because we're looking back, that an angel was appearing. But from Moses' perspective, all he saw was another bush catching fire in the desert, which I'm told from experts, I mean, I'm not told, I read it, but like bushes catching on fire in the desert wasn't that much of an uncommon experience. What caught his eye was it was on fire and not being consumed. That's why he said in the next verse, huh, why is it not being consumed? I shall go check this out, right? What got his attention was that. Hebrews 13, 2, just jot that down. Things aren't always what they seem. Hebrews 13, 2 talks about how sometimes we entertain angels unaware. Just that one verse should change every interaction we have at Walmart, shouldn't it? We could be entertaining an angel, and instead we're like, could you open up another line, please? Because I'm in a hurry. Oh, that's right. I forgot. It's all about you. Right? But we entertain angels unaware. Is it possible that the person who's driving slowly in front of you is an angel there to keep you from having an accident down the road? We should, we should make t-shirts. Stop flipping off angels. <laughs> no one would wear them, and yet everybody should, right? <laughs> Paul is going to come back with a t-shirt that says, my pastor should stop flipping off angels, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 1 Samuel 16, 7. Again, this is just so you can see, like, in this, first, in this second verse that Moses... He, he saw something happening. It was a little bit out of the ordinary, and I just want you to get that it caught his attention. Because we're such a distracted church, and I mean church, capital C. Like, we're such a distracted people that I'm not sure that we're even seeing things differently. Right? You with me? So he sees a bush. It's burning. It catches his attention. Hebrews 13, 2 says that sometimes we entertain angels 
He didn't know there was an angel in the bush, but he knew that something was happening. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that God looks on the heart. That verse, in some translations, it literally says, to he's, God says to Samuel, you don't see the way I see. That's a problem. God was making a statement, but what he was really saying was, I need you to see the way I see. I need you to see past the outward, and I need you to see the heart, right? We need to be aware. So what got Moses' attention was an unconsumed burning bush. Fire that doesn't consume is different. Verse 3. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight why the bush is not burning up. Moses turned aside. He made a decision to investigate what was happening. You with me? He turned aside. Now, when I was studying this, I was like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to teach a message about not being distracted. But doesn't it seem like Moses got distracted here? <laughs> right? Like he's pasturing and he's like, it's going to be a normal day. Whoa, what, what is, what's that? I must now investigate. Kicks off shoes, right? Like all the sheep are, and he's over there checking out some bush. It seems like he got distracted. Just a tad. Which is why we need the discernment to understand the difference between distraction and divine appointment. And distracted people won't know the difference because they're distracted, right? I'm touching my phone for the 3,028th time today. We're so distracted, we can't even, we wouldn't even notice that, right? He made a decision to investigate. Now we come to verse 4, and I think this might be the most important verse. When, another word, word just a circle, right? That's a hinge word. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God called to him. When did God call? When, right? If he had just stood there, I'm like, hmm, interesting bush, and kept on going, does Moses get what comes next? No. He had to turn aside. He had to turn aside. It wasn't until he turned aside that God actually called to him. Jot this down. It rhymes. It's good. Closer investigation leads to greater revelation. So we're, we want God to show us more, right? And he's like, hey, I'll show you more if you'll actually look longer at what I'm showing you now. We just want him to keep giving us more stuff. Like, just, oh, that was so good. That was so good. He's like, stop. Be still. Go check out what I'm actually showing you right now. Don't go any further. Just that. And when we investigate, investigation leads to revelation. God called him by name twice. Greater revelation comes through intimate relation. He's not just giving what comes next to some stranger. He's like, Moses, Moses. I personally, because I, I think I've got a little bit of ADHD, right? Or I call it ADOS, attention deficit. Ooh, shiny, right? So <laughs> I think Moses was so into that bush. He was like, this is amazing. God's like, Moses, Moses, right? But he wants to speak to a person. 
He wants to speak to a man who has a name. This is about relationship, right? So what, what is our one thing right now? What are we learning in this birthing revival? Our one thing as a church is the presence of God. That's relationship. If you don't have a relationship with God, you hear verbs, verses like, be still and know that I'm God. And you're like, I don't want to be still. I'll just play, do a playlist and know that he's God. I'll let Bethel tell me he's God. Uh, I'd rather have Jesus culture. Hillsong. Oh, those are all of the devil. Bill Gaither. Whatever. We let other people tell us he's God. And he said, no, you be still and you know that I'm God. Right? But if you don't have a relationship with him, who wants to be still with a stranger? I don't want to be still with a stranger. I don't want to. Like, please don't raise your hand if you've done this because you'll be a creep and we'll never talk to you. Nobody, I've always wanted to, nobody walks into a, a movie theater, especially in COVID, right? But nobody, even pre-COVID, walks into a movie theater, sees the entire theater with two people sitting in it, and chooses to seat next to those people. Because why would you? But you could. They're all seats that are available to anybody that wants them. But instead, we like as many rows as we can. That's a buffer between us and those two people, right? Because we don't know those people. You don't want to be intimate with somebody you don't know. And that's what you see here, that God's heart is that he would know us, right? That he, this is touch number 3,110, that he would know us. He would have a relationship with us so that when he gives us our next command, he's calling our name. You want to change your Bible reading and make it more alive? Everywhere you see your, just write your name. For God so loved the world, for God so loved Paul, that he gave Paul his only son. Right? Just It'll revolutionize the way you read the Bible. Because he did it for you and me. Some of us are waiting on God to call us, and God is waiting on us to turn aside from what we're doing to investigate what he's doing. That again, please. Some of us are waiting on God to call us, and God is waiting on us to turn aside from what we're doing to investigate what he's doing. What was revealed to Moses was only revealed to him when he gave his full attention to the Lord. Now, jot these down quickly, okay? This is what was revealed to Moses when he gave his full attention. When he turned aside, right, he turned aside to investigate. This is what happens in the next four verses. We're not going to go into any depth on these at all. I'm just going to give them to you. You can study it on your own. In verse 5, he sees the holiness of God. In verse 6a, he sees the history of God. I'm going too fast, right? Let's slow down. Verse 5. Then he, God, said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He saw the holiness of God. This is only after he turned aside to investigate, right? Now, I know this is a lot of this is theory, and you're, you're, you're sitting there going like, how do I live this out tomorrow when I go shopping at the grocery store? We're getting to it, okay? We're getting to it. Hang with me. Then he sees the history of God. Right? He says, and I said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I will just say this briefly and we will move on. We will never be better than our past if we want to erase it. If we just want to erase it. 
as a culture, we just want to erase the past. We'll never learn from what we erase, right? God is not a God who's like, you know, forget all that stuff. I'm just moving right now. He said, no, hey, I got a history too. And you know the history because they're in your lineage, right? We would be really served well if we would learn what God's done in our family tree. Everybody's all about Ancestry.com right now, right? But they're all about Ancestry.com because I want to feel what my special place is. And there's nothing wrong with that. But my special place is not separate from the people that came before me. God has a history as well. The second part of verse 6. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. When he turned aside, he saw the presence of God. I can't even begin to tell you how inadequate I feel as a pastor when I get up week after week and say, hey, y'all, we pray on Wednesday nights. When I know in my spirit that when revival breaks out, that will be the greatest attendance thing we ever do as a church, right? Maybe you've heard of Jim Cimbala. He pastors the Brooklyn Tab Church in, ironically, Brooklyn. And the greatest attended service in that church is the prayer service. And, and I, I remember growing up in church hearing that, and I'm like, God, how, what a loser church, right? Like, the, people could pray? Ugh, boring. It's, it's not about just prayer. It's about presence, right? Like, he's looking for people who say, I value the presence of God, and I'm all in on that. And he only gives his presence to people who give him their full attention. Moses turned aside and saw the presence of God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their outcry because of their taskmasters, taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. Let's just say that he saw the heart of God, right? The heart of God is that people would not be oppressed. And so he's like, hey, I want to do something about that. And so the very next thing he saw in verse 8 was the plan of God. So... I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, a land full of milk and honey to all the ites, right? He says, look, now that you've turned aside, I want you to see my holiness, my history, my presence, my heart, and my plan. And we could spend the entire rest of our lives talking about those five things, but this morning all I want you to know is this, revelation follows investigation, period. You want to know why you don't see more of God in your life? You're not investigating what he's already doing. You're walking right past it on your phone 2,617 times a day. We have missed God, but we definitely know what's happening on Twitter. Right? Or we, and it's, again, I'm on Twitter. I'm on all those things. There's nothing about technology that's bad. It's just that it can be a distraction. We have to run toward God if we want to burn for God. We have to turn toward God if we want to burn for God. It's, listen to this statement. It's impossible to be distracted from God and captivated by God at the same time. If I'm, if I'm all over the place, distracted by everything else but God, I'm distracted from God. It's impossible in that place to be also captivated by him. What captivates me with Wendy is, <laughs> we were doing this the other day, like she was reading uh, devotion at the table, 
And it, it, it went from really sweet to really awkward for her, right, in a moment. Because she's re- it's just the two of us now. So she's reading it, and she's looking at the, at the devotion. And when she got done, she looked up. And I was, I was at the breakfast table like this. <laughs> she said, what? I said, I, I just, I love the way your face lights up when you're reading the Bible. I don't say that all the time. So, you know, just, it was a moment for me. It was a good moment, right? She captivates me, y'all. Full disclosure, if she had been doing that in the den and there had been a football game on the TV behind her, she would have seen me doing this. I would have been distracted. It's just I know how I am, right? So when we go to a restaurant to sit down, I try to position myself looking away from the TV. I know myself. I don't want to be distracted. I want to be captivated. God's the same way. You can't be distracted from him and captivated by him at the same time, and you have to decide which you'll be. Which brings me to the Cheesecake Factory. Everybody say, finally. Right? We're wrapping this thing up. Oh, I know. did you feel it? I mean, I said Cheesecake Factory, and the anointing came in this room like that. Did you feel it? Right? And you're like, I'm so glad I came to church today because I feel an Oprah moment coming on, and you get a gift card, and you get a gift card, and you get it. That's not going to happen, but whatever, right? When we go to the Cheesecake Factory, I mean, I just wish you could go. I wish we could take all of you out to eat with us at least once in your life just to experience the brilliance of Wendy ordering, Right? Because she, she is, and some of you are wired this way too. How many of you have to see all the things before you can make a decision? Raise your hand. It's, there's nothing wrong with you. That's just the way you're made, right? Um, we were talking about this this past week when our family would go get a Christmas tree, right? We would walk. We'd get out of the car. We'd walk onto the tree lot. And without fail, the first tree we saw, four of the five in our family, I won't say who the other one was, we're like, that's the one. In all honesty, sometimes we just want it to be over, right? And Wendy's like, I mean, that looks good, but let's just look around a little bit. And almost every year without fail, we would circle the whole lot, look at every tree. I would pull them out, do the whole thing, turn it around, and we'd buy which one? The first one. But Wendy would be good with it because she saw all of them. So when we go to the Cheesecake Factory, which is not often, and here's why. They got a book for a menu, y'all. There's no way. There's literally no way. I'm like chewing my arm off. I'm so hungry. And I know that I'm probably getting the fish tacos. And she's just not sure yet. And there's just so many pages of stuff. It's in possible for her to figure out which one thing she wants and we love that about Wendy it's how she's made I'm just like meat medium now right (laughs) very simple many choices produce distraction one choice produces traction I learned something this week what is the opposite of distraction I would have said focus, right? How many would say focus? You're scared to say it now, right? Because you know it's wrong. It is. 
The opposite of distraction is traction. So traction and distraction are opposites. Distraction comes from many choices. Traction comes from one choice. It's all about the one thing. Now, let's get practical. Can we do that? Because some of you are thinking, like, this means Christianity is all about things I can't do. No, no, Christianity is always about what you can do. Always about what you can do. Because the Bible, that even that Chase, the gospel you were talking about earlier during worship, the Bible is clear. Before we come to Jesus, guess what we don't have? A choice. The Bible says we're slaves to sin. You guys, the church is historically horrible about boycotting sinners who are choosing to do things that they don't have a choice over. I don't get it. We should be ticked at the church who has a choice and chooses to live unholy lives. Not the world that's acting like the world. Well, we better boycott Disney. Uh, okay, do it. It'll just make the line shorter when I go. Whatever, right? I couldn't. I never understood that in the '80s. Like we're boycotting Disney. I don't. But they're not a Christian company. They're just doing what their nature says they should do. Let's boycott the people in church who are lukewarm, right? Like that's the problem. And so we're always like, we think that like when we become a Christian, oh gosh, don't now I, I have to go to church. I have to give a tithe. I have to pray. I have to read the Bible. I have to do all these things. You don't have to do any of that stuff. But you, want, you need to love Jesus enough that you would choose to do all those things. Or my favorite is like, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't go drink with you. I used to do that. This is not about alcohol, okay? I can't. And fill in the blank of whatever fun thing you used to do, right? And now you're like, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I can't do that fun thing. That's, such the, that's the wrong message to the world, y'all. So let's just pick something easy. Now that I'm a Christian, I can't eat green vegetables. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about it, y'all. <laughs> but let's just say that I really loved green vegetables, right? And I was saying stuff like, well, I, I, I wish I could eat those, but now that I'm a Christian, I can't eat those. See, the, the true answer is, now that I'm a Christian, I can choose not to eat those. It's not about can't. It's about can. You and I have a choice. So much so that Paul says, now that we're believers, don't offer your body as slaves. Don't offer it as slaves. You still chose to live as a slave to sin. Instead, offer your body as slaves to righteousness. Because you can choose. Say, I can choose. Which means, at whatever level of distraction you and I are living at, we chose it. Even people like me that are easily distracted, we chose it. So if we feel overwhelmed, it's because we've chosen to just focus on the overwhelming things. Okay, let's give you a big idea, and then we'll wrap this up. Big idea means I just talked all that time to tell you this one thing. You've got to turn aside if you want to burn inside. With Moses, he turned aside to investigate. And guess what happened? The fire in the bush, if you read the rest of the Bible, the fire in the bush became the fire in Moses. The fire in the bush becomes the fire in me and you. Jeremiah said, I, I've, I've got a, it's like a fire inside of me and I'm weary from holding it in. 
at the day of Pentecost, what, what came down on the day of Pentecost? Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, right? Flames of fire. And then where did the fire go? To my fire pit in the backyard. Duh. No, it went in them, right? What's inside of you? Oh, the answer would be fire, right? If you're a believer, is it burning bright or not? I don't know. But if it's not, guess what Paul said to Timothy? Fan into flame the fire that's in you. Where was it? In them. Because when you turn aside, you've got to turn aside to see what God's doing if you want God to burn inside of you. You, you with me? The reason why people aren't burning brightly for the Lord is because they're not focused on what he's doing. They're distracted by everything else. So practically, I'm going to use one example that probably won't relate to anybody in the room. Maybe it does. So I'll pick on pastors because, you know, it's going to get warmer soon. Somebody say amen. Just to, I need a few more snows and then we'll let it let summer come. Don't bring that negativity stuff. Don't bring, don't, don't bring that weak faith in here, right? A few more snows then we can move on to summer. But summer's coming, right? So... Summer is historically the time that people love to stay outside. So let's just say that you have a boat. You buy a boat, and you're waiting for the warmer weather so you can be out on the lake. And for whatever reason, I don't know why people don't go to the lake on Saturday, but they love to do it on Sunday during church. I don't know why, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm, there's, a, there's a manual somewhere that says when you get a boat, you have to go on Sunday. So historically, what happens is pastors will rail against that, Right? And they will make you feel like dirt because you own a boat with me so far. I don't, I don't own a boat, so I don't know. I'm just, I'm the pastor, though. And they'll make you feel so bad for having a boat. So let's take what we just talked about, and let's try to apply it to that very real example. And if, it's, if you don't have a boat, figure something else out, right? Now listen to this statement. If time on the lake in your boat fills you with how great you are, it's a distraction. If time on the lake fills you in your boat with how great God is, it could be traction. It's all about how it affects you, right? I personally, I love y'all, love you. But if there's a Sunday this summer and I'm not here, I'm at the beach. Because there's something about my feet in the sand looking out at this vast ocean that makes me feel about that small at first. And it makes God feel this big. And then I go, holy cow, this humongous God loves little old me. And I start to feel really big again. It happens for me at the beach. Maybe it happens for you at the mountains. It doesn't happen for anybody at Walmart. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about distractions, as we're bringing this to a close, I don't want you to be distracted by whether or not your things are, are the distraction. Only you can answer that. You need to ask the Father about that. And I'm asking you today to turn aside from all the things, to have a moment with God, to ask him, am I distracted from everything, by everything else from you? Or how can, I, how can I have traction in my walk with you? I'm telling you, some of you, if you had time on a boat on a lake and it brought you closer to the Lord, that's traction. It's a good thing. And here's the thing I know as a pastor. Here's why I don't, I don't freak out about that stuff. Because if you're sitting in your boat on the lake and it's bringing you traction in your walk with God,
Guess where that traction is going to lead you eventually? Right back here. I don't have to rail about it because that's how traction works. He's going to lead you to the thing that matters to him. And what matters to him is that his people are together. It's not about religion. It's not about a program. It's about relationship. It's our one thing. It's the passion for his presence. Does that make sense? I know you're just saying yes because it's time for me to be done. But I love it anyway. Say yes again. All right. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to eat. I know you came for the food, right? Yeah. It's so good. It is so good. Would you close your eyes? Would you just um, allow the Lord to kind of start to do an inventory of your life? We do this from time to time. Think about this. I mean, all these messages are building on each other. Think about today's message in light of last week, right? So we talked about making room. We make room for what matters most. So if you, have, if you are taking inventory and like right now you're thinking, I would love to do blank for the Lord, but I can't because I'm so full of blank about other things. That's evidence that you could be distracted, right? And I just, I would really love to serve the Lord. I'd love to go help Casey serve people lunch, but I, I just, and can, I make, can I make it really real for church people? I'd love to go serve at the community table, but I can't because I'm, I'm serving so much here at the church. That even can be a distraction, right? If we can't serve outside because we're so busy in here. But instead of trying to analyze your whole life, I'd rather you simply say to God right now, God, would you show me the thing that you're doing now? And help me to turn aside from all the other things I'm, I'm into and just focus on you. Because if I'll turn aside, I'll begin to burn inside. And that is my closing prayer today for this body. I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of what you're doing here. I don't take it for granted, God, that there's a fire beginning to burn in this place. And, God, we want to burn more and more for you. And so I just pray that as we seek you, God, that your Holy Spirit would allow all of us to discern what's a distraction in my life and what is a divine appointment that you're doing right now so I can turn to that and give my full attention to it. And as you do that, I just pray that you'd receive the revelation that God's going to give you. God bless the food that we're going to have. Thank you for our time here together, and be with us as we go through the rest of this week. God, I pray that Albemarle will be changed because we are in it. In your name, Jesus, amen.